when I was 15, my family went on a trip to Egypt. And it was an amazing trip. We saw the pyramids, we saw the Sphinx, we visited ancient temples on the River Nile, and we visited the Valley of the Kings, which is where dozens and dozens of royal tombs are found. Most of them over the years have been found and looted, and so they don't have anything inside, but there are exceptions. And most of the tombs have had their wall decorations stripped or faded by the elements over the years, but there are a few exceptions. And so it was that at one point I found myself standing inside a tomb where for whatever reason, the climate, had preserved the painted walls inside with colors as fresh and vivid as they were almost 3,000 years ago. That paint was applied to those walls long before Jesus told the parable we just heard. Long even before the book of Ecclesiastes was written that we heard from the Hebrew scriptures this morning. Long, long ago. An artist painted the ceiling of that tomb in deep blue, a night sky speckled with golden gleaming stars. And all around on the walls were pictures of gods and goddesses, people and animals, mythological scenes, the last judgment of the soul, and inscriptions of prayers for the dead. And in one sense, it was a worldview and a culture that was for. No one today prays to Osiris and Isis. And yet it was also familiar because it was so deeply human. Here was a place dedicated to the hopes and the uncertainty and the longing for something after death. And there in that space, I found myself a 15-year-old normally preoccupied with homework and crushes and video games, thinking about mortality and thinking about how that Pharaoh and I and everyone else who's ever lived has so much in common. As we're born, we're here for a little span, and then we go into that great mysterious beyond. None of us knows exactly what death is like. We have not experienced it but we will, and there are many who have gone into it before us. How we deal with the fact that we're mortal has a lot to do with how we live our everyday lives. The 20th century philosopher Ernest Becker believed that unlike what Sigmund Freud thought, our deepest, most repressed fear and longing has to do not with sex, but with death. We all face mortality. We all long for security in the face of our mortality. But we respond to that fear and that longing in different ways. For the ancient Egyptians, the response was to create a culture almost obsessed with death, a culture where reminders of death were present everywhere a culture of elaborate tombs and mummifications and funeral rites, at least for the wealthy. 
Our culture today has a different relationship with death. The blessings and miracles of medicine have meant that we don't see as much death in our everyday lives anymore. Most of us will spend the last days or even months or years of our lives, not at home, but in other places, perhaps hospitals or care facilities. And so death for us in this society has a tendency to happen offstage in a way that would have been unfamiliar for most people in other times and places. We today in this place and time have the luxury and the temptation of not always having to think about death every day. Many of us would prefer not to, our own or the peoples we love. And so instead of obsession with death, perhaps our culture is closer to repression of death until those times, of course, that it comes crashing into our everyday reality. But whether we're obsessed by death or whether we repress it, one of the ways, probably universally, that we respond to our mortality is by trying to store up possessions. Somehow there is something about the stockpiling of stuff that can help us feel safe, prepared, protected. Like the man in our gospel story today who has more than he can use and decides to build barns for yet more and more. Of course, he can't take it with him. The mummified pharaohs were buried with treasures beyond counting, all the way up to statues that were meant to come to life and serve as their slaves in the afterlife. We today may not tend to bury treasures with our dead loved ones, but we still know about the temptation to store up possessions. Certainly in Northern California, we live in one of the great economic regions of the world. And we see incredible wealth and abundance fueled by technology and productivity. And alongside it, we see people with almost nothing who have been left behind. And so California in the 21st century is a great place to hear this parable of the rich man. Whereas Jesus says, possessions are worth nothing and riches toward God are everything. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Paul makes an interesting side remark in this morning's reading from the letter to the Colossians. He writes about different vices and he mentions greed and then he adds this parenthetical statement, which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. And idolatry is putting something else in the place of God. And I think it's true that it's easy to believe that through our possessions or our hard work, we can somehow insulate ourselves from harm. We gather today in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who has been through death and told the tale. Jesus is the pioneer of our pathway through death, a pathway that leads into a tomb and out 
a pathway into something that scripture gives us only images and mystery and symbol to describe, but an assurance that for us, death is a gateway into a life beyond imagining, a life in the closer presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead. As Christians, we believe death isn't the final word. We believe we're held in the hands of a God who has conquered it. And if that's true, then that fear of death that exists at such a deep, deep level that leads us to try to protect ourselves and immortalize ourselves and hoard God's blessings. It doesn't have to control us anymore. What does it look like to live in such a way to live without fear of death. I wanna offer us three ideas that we might take from our scriptures today. The first idea is to make friends with our mortality, to befriend our own death, which may sound strange or even morbid, but there's an ancient spiritual practice of reflecting on death that perhaps we in the 21st century can benefit from. To realize that we're here for a short time, that these bodies that we are given are not forever and will crumble into dust. We remember that ritually together as a people every year on Ash Wednesday. But for the beloved children of God, death is not the enemy. St. Francis gives us a hymn in our hymnal that calls death our gentle sister who leads home the child of God. And so the first takeaway I think today is simply this. Think about death sometimes. Befriend your death. Make friends with your mortality. And the second thing is this. Hold on loosely to stuff. Let it out of your hands. Possessions are good things. Material abundance is a gift from God, but it's created for the well being of all. And the way to use it is to become rich towards God, which means using material possessions to bless the world in God's name, to create beauty, to practice hospitality, and to share with others. There's a story about the great evangelist, John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest and the founder of the Methodist movement. He used to tell his followers that a Christian should earn all they can, save all they can, and give all they can. And he seems to have practiced what he preached. As a young man, John Wesley found that he could live on 28 pounds a year, which in today's money might be around $40,000. And he decided to continue living on that amount as his income grew. As his income grew to 50 pounds and then 100 and eventually 1,400 pounds per year, he continued to live on the 28 and gave the rest away. It's estimated that by the end of his life, Wesley was doing something like earning a million and a half dollars a year and continuing to live on the 40,000. Most of us will find it hard to rise to that level. But however high or however low our income is, we can practice giving stuff away. 
which is one of the most basic Christian spiritual practices, and discovering the joy that it brings, big and small. It's liberating, and it's fun. So make friends with our mortality. Hold on loosely to our stuff. And the third thing is this. Be on the lookout for glory. In the end, what makes our life worthwhile isn't what we own. It's the traces of glory that are shot everywhere through God's entire creation, if we have eyes to see them. We can see those traces everywhere we look. In the incredible beauty of the region where we live, in a sunset, in the face of one of our siblings, in the music we sing, in a bite of good food, in the laugh of a child. There are countless places where we catch glimpses of glory. And they're not just in the places of beauty and pleasure. Sometimes we catch the most profound glimpses of God's glory at a hospital bed or in a shelter or in a prison places of our greatest tenderness and vulnerability, where God's glory is so close to the surface. The whole universe is filled and pulsing with the glory of God. There are times when we're given the gift of catching glimpses of it, of raising it to our awareness. That glory isn't something that we can possess, and it certainly isn't something that we can hoard. We can receive it. We can open our heart to it and we can give thanks. Befriend your mortality. Hold on lightly to stuff. And be on the lookout for glimpses of glory. And may the spirit of Jesus lead us beyond the fear of death into the kingdom of everlasting abundance.